Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans, on today's Miami Week 1 catch-up. Medvedev wins through despite leg cramps. Jack Draper collapses on court. And Vasek Pospisil turns up the heat on the ATP. Kim, a really hot and humid week one at the Miami Open has come to an end. Some really, really testing conditions uh, on the court. I think some of the most challenging conditions we've seen this season. I feel like at the moment, this tournament is very much a survival of the fittest. Yeah, it makes um, my lunchtime walk today look a bit meek because I went out with my coat on and thought, oh, it's a bit warm today. We've actually got some sunshine in the UK um, and higher temperatures. But yeah, it's looked really testing for the players out in Miami. And it's not every week on tour that we get, you know, players, well, players collapsing and everyone cramping up. So yeah, I think um, being quite frustrating, I think, for a lot of the players. But I mean, before we get into the tennis, Joel, there is one thing we kind of have to start with, I think. And talking of frustrations, I think there's one man who is perhaps the most frustrated of all tennis players at the moment, and that is Vasek Pospisil, um, who had a, a massive outburst on court against Mackenzie McDonald. And, uh, well, it kind of went viral, didn't it? Because it, it was pretty, from my point of view, pretty awful behavior. I think others maybe can, can sympathize with him. But I mean, what did you make of that, Joel? I mean, he, he had reached boiling point, hadn't he, in that match? Uh, he was obviously very frustrated with how he was playing. He went on to lose it, but really the result was not the, you know, the big takeout from, from that match. It was that outburst. Um, you know, whilst he was kind of talking to the umpire. And it, it just opened up a can of worms and gave us a, you know, gave the regular fans, gave ourselves a really interesting insight into what the dynamic is at the moment between the ATP and the ATP players. Um, to quote him, um, he said, for an hour and a half yesterday, the chairman of the ATP expletive screaming at me in a player meeting for trying to unite the players for an hour and a half, the leader of the ATP, get him out of here expletive expletive why am i supporting this oh my god it was just serious serious drama and you know it's got everyone i think talking and all does not seem well at the moment in the on the atp tour uh you know i think there's a lot of unhappy unhappy players at the moment obviously pospisil has kind of voiced it in a way that i think you know other players look at and thought maybe it could have been done uh you know more uh professionally but um, yeah, I just think the mood at the moment is, I think this captures some of the mood that some of the players are going through. Yeah, I think the way he did it, it was very unprofessional. But also, if his claim is true that the ATP chairman was swearing at him, that's that's also incredibly unprofessional. Like, there should be no... I mean, imagine us doing that in like a meeting at work and just <laughs> swearing at our 
colleagues. I mean, that just would be ridiculous. So I, I really don't like the fact that there's um, that they're all seemingly being uh, unprofessional. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously frustrated. Like they've the P, he's one of the founding members of the PTPA, which was the kind of alternative uh, player council, if you like, for the ATP. Well, for for all players, but originally they just said it was kind of for the for men's tennis um, when it kind of came out last summer. So, of course, I imagine the ATP chairman is not particularly enamoured by Pospisil and Djokovic and Isner and others that, you know, set the PTPA up. And, you know, they do have obviously legitimate concerns, like the, the way the ranking system has been frozen, the all the COVID restrictions going on, the, the prize money issue. So, for sure, they've got, like, legitimate concerns that need to be addressed, you know, within the the board of the ATP and, and the player council and everything. But for me, Pospisil doing it on court, you know, in a, in a match at Miami, first round match against Mackenzie McDonald, you know, it kind of started with him smashing a ball out of court. Then he smashed his racket and he started having a go at the umpire. You know, he got a verbal abuse penalty point, which lost him the opening set and quite rightly. But yep. for me, it was weird because it sort of, it was quite a protracted out thing. Like I felt like he was, he was walking around like muttering to himself, thinking about mm. it. Then he smashed his racket and, he was debating it, wasn't he? He was sort yeah. of sort of delayed and he was like, shall I go for it? Shall I go for it? And then he was like, I'm just going to go for it. And yeah, it, it felt like he almost used like it as a uh, an opportunity to kind of make his, I think, you know, in some ways it was, it almost kind of like was his pitch to other players in terms of, you know, this sort of animosity that all the, the players are getting and kind of airing that and, you know, yelling kind of a, a battle cry, I think, to, you know, the rest of the ATP locker rooms in, in the, you know, are you with me or are you against me? Because he feels like he's obviously a very passionate guy about, you know, fighting for the, you know, the player's voice, uh, you know, along with other players like, you know, Novak Djokovic. And he's, you know, feeling like he's fighting tooth and nail for them at the moment. And, you know, for me, it, it did sort of feel like a bit of a pitch, I think, to the rest of the locker room in terms of why don't you join us? Because there are all these things going on at the moment that are all, I think, combining and making it a very kind of unhappy, um, you know, dynamic at the moment. As you said, you know, the player restrictions kind of going on, the reductions in prize money, the ranking system, it all seems to be a bit of a mess and the players are getting the brunt of it. And Pospisil, want, you know, he wants to do better. He may want to do better. And I do, I sympathize with his, where he's coming from. But I, for me, his actions on court were very childish. Um, I think, you know, when, when it's kind of heat of the moment and you sort of lash out quickly, I, I, I can understand that because, you know, we all get angry and frustrated. But the fact that it was so protracted, I feel like he was definitely thinking it over in his head and yet he still went and did it. There's way more diplomatic um, methods for having your voice and for trying to get other players on board. And for me, I'm, I'm such an anti racket smashing person that I just think it's so disrespectful and you know he disrespected the court and the game in many ways and I I understand that he's obviously annoyed but I just think there are other ways of going about that and mm. you know I, I know that players have come out to say oh you know um, unfortunately you know emotions get the better of, better of us sometimes and you know he's come out and apologized on Twitter but I just think you know, you can't be losing your head like that on a professional tennis court. And I feel sorry as well for Mackenzie McDonald, his opponent, because he must have been sitting there thinking, what on earth? And maybe he sympathised as well with him, but it's, it's a bit awkward as well for your opponent, isn't it? I think that's what made it so extraordinary. And I think this is kind of almost the, the first instance of seeing something that I think should have been 
maybe discussed sort of pleasantly in the boardroom spill out onto a tennis court in front of the, you know, in front of the, you know, the cameras and, you know, the fans watching worldwide. And that's what makes it so interesting. And I think, I feel like this was naturally going to come out given all of the, uh, you know, the the things that are going on at the moment, but to see it kind of come out on the court in that way, it just was very, it was very, it was very surprising. I mean, you just look at that match on paper, Pospisil versus McDonald, you don't, you feel like that's a bit of a, you know, nondescript match for the outside courts and you don't think much is going to happen, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment. And I think it shows that the ATP, I think are taking you know the PTPA very seriously, and I feel like Andrea Gaudenzi, the uh, you know the ATP chairman, he might be looking at the PTA PTPA and thinking they are a threat. They are we cannot coexist, and maybe that's why there was so much sort of fire thrown at uh, Pospisil because he doesn't feel like the two can coexist, and he's not you know he's not helping his cause, and. I'm 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 really interested to see how this evolves because they're get, they're they're fighting they're fighting the same cause but in completely different ways and it doesn't feel like at the moment those two ways can can mesh whatsoever. Joel, your your slip of the tongue there when you said PTA, it made me think of school fates and cake sales because <laughs> <laughs> that's the parent teachers association. I know, I, know, exactly. I wonder if Gaudenzi is a bit scared of scared of the parents and the governors at the schools <laughs> but um perhaps uh Pospisil should go back to school and learn some like decorum lessons <laughs> as well i think there was kind of you know talk about you know what was it that maybe kind of set the atp leadership set them off and the ptpa i think are at the moment sort of trying to find their you know they're trying to find their voice i think because you know they came out didn't feel like they had any sort of direction didn't really feel like they had any sort of strategy and as a result of that i think we're sort of finding what their strategy is about quite uh, contractedly i think over time and it feels like you know in terms of what they have to offer what they can leverage are things are, that are quite scary sort of things i think like boycotts or you know rebel tours and it's those that sort of terminology and language that I feel like, you know, if I was an ATP in the ATP leadership leadership team and heard those sorts of words, those are the sorts of words that potentially would trigger me. And I wonder if, you know, it might not have got that far, but if that's the, you know, the feeling that the ATP are looking at on the PTPA, well, there's going to have to be some very stern conversations, I think, between the two parties, because it doesn't feel like the player council are really doing anything at the moment, because we're having this conversation is sort of belittling I think what the the player council is sort of set up for yeah I suppose the the ATP they don't you know big organizations don't like state uh, they don't like change they like to no. kind of keep the status quo and we saw that um or we heard that rather when we had um the the world team tennis chat about the you know the 70s world team tennis mm. was trying to kind of set itself up as a you know as like a rebel to the conventional tour so it kind of has shades of that, I suppose. But I mean, there has been, Joel, there has been some, some pretty good tennis as well in Miami, <laughs> uh, not just tantrums on court. And I mean, let's, let's start with, with the tennis because we're kind of at the fourth round stage now, the round of 16. Um, let's begin with the top seed on the men's side, Daniel Medvedev, who is still in the tournament. Um, 
just about because just about, he was yeah. cramping up <laughs> big time against Alexi Popperin, had a long three setter and managed to get over the finish line. But yeah, after a bit of hobbling around on the court, um, should we be worried that, that he's not able to cope with these conditions? Yeah, it didn't surprise me because we, as we said, this, you know, the temperature and the, uh, the weather there at the moment combined with really slow court conditions, it doesn't surprise me. And even the fittest of players are, are really kind of struggling. And it was, it was, I think, yeah, for me, it was a little bit surprising to see Medvedev cramping towards the end of the match. Perhaps even more surprising for me was actually that he came through as the winner. Um, I thought Popperin was going to be able to, you know, make the most of that and, uh, you know, win because, he has been a player who I've, I've had my eye on the last kind of few months and has been in really, really good form. Um, I think sort of stolen the thunder a little bit from Alex de Menor in, in, you know, from Australia. I think he, you know, he won his first title, uh, you know, down in, in Singapore this year. Um, so he's doing really, really well. So I was a bit surprised that actually he wasn't able to kind of pull off the victory, but I think for Medvedev, yeah, it was just a case of getting through. And I think, I think, I'm not a, you know, obviously I'm not a, a, I'm not a medical expert, but I think that with cramps, hopefully he's got enough recovery time. He's got the day off today, which I think will be an absolute, you know, he will be, he will be thanking his lucky stars in that respect. And he'll be able to kind of be back on court and not have to, not have to withdraw. Yeah, he's got Francis TFO uh, next, who is actually in the last 16 of the Miami Open for the third straight yeah so actually he really likes this tournament doesn't he tfo and he's he's done his his hard work to get there because every match he's been a set down loves a comeback <laughs> yeah so if medvedev goes to set down um sorry if medvedev goes to set up then you know he's out the tournament basically because tfo <laughs> you know money's on him to come back but yeah he beat dan evans in in the second round uh annoyingly for british fans uh from a set down and has come through um against uh Lajevic, travalia you know so a whole host of other players yeah, really impressed with TFO this week. He's not really known as a player who goes one set down and then comes back and wins in three. I think before Miami, he had 21 consecutive losses after losing the first set on tour um, in the best of three format. And then, yeah, all of a sudden he goes and wins three consecutive on the bounce to to make the fourth round. So really impressive stuff from him. I mean, talking about that match against Evans, it was a real, I think, 50-50 match up and I think Dan will be kind of disappointed he didn't win he did really well to win that first set I think TFO was serving for it at 5-3 Evans was able to come back and snatch it on a tie break and I thought he was going to go and, and pull away from there but TFO obviously had other ideas and yeah he's been really 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 impressive um you know he's one of the I think he's definitely obviously one of the you know, very fit and, and physical sort of player and I think these conditions he's sort of already kind of acclimatized to and I think he will, yeah, you know, he'll be really happy that of the way that he's kind of come through some real, some real battles. Um, unlike Evans, who I think he'll be a little bit disappointed because his last two losses, TFO and Karatsev in, in Dubai were very, both very tight affairs. And I think he would have felt that they were both kind of missed opportunities. Yeah, I, I agree. He he needs to be winning those, those tight matches, doesn't he? Especially in the early rounds to get, you know, to get a bit of a run going. But I mean, Credible opponents, both both of them, of course, and 
perhaps TFA will pull off an upset against Medvedev. But another American doing pretty well is John Isner this week, who um, came through against FAA, two tie breaks, of course. <laughs> um, but I love this stat, Joel, um, and credit to at Brett Harbour on Twitter for providing this because um, John Isner, obviously known to rely a lot on his serve, um, in that match over FAA, he hit, he hit a total of 148 ground strokes, which compared, compared to Yannick Sinner versus... Karen Hatchinov, um, that number was already achieved at two all in the uh, first set. So two all, 40 all in the first set of that match. Sinner had already hit 150 ground strokes, which just, <laughs> I think, demonstrates the kind of massive difference in someone, you know, who's got a game like John Isner, massive serve, winning like tons of free points off it against, you know, kind of a classic, um, I want to say normal tennis player who would um, <laughs> perhaps play, you know, Rather more ground strokes than Isner. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can play tennis in lots of different ways, and that's just a complete example of that. You know, Yannick Sinner very catch off, very much like to play at the baseline, but yeah, John Isner with his big booming serve, yeah, seems to be coming back um, into the fold. I think he's, you know, I think his form's been a little bit indifferent um, over the start of the season. Um, I don't, I don't know if he's had any sort of injury troubles as well, but yeah, it's nice to see him back. He's obviously got previous here. He has been a Miami champ, open champion before. So he's got a very, I think, winnable tie against Bautista Agut next, but that will be certainly be a, a very tough one. But Americans definitely seem to be going well, um, at the very, top end of the draw um moving on to though the second quarter quite surprising probably the biggest shock of the week so far kim we had sasha zverev lose um number three seed lose in the uh, in his first match in the second round to emil rusevori of finland pretty pretty surprising scoreline i mean he's rusevori won one six six two six one i mean what did you what did you make of that one because I think Zverev, you know, he was the Acapulco champion. You know, you, I think you actually had him as, as winning the tournament, um, going out in quite a, quite a dramatic fashion in that scoreline. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's just because I predicted him to win, Joel, of course. He, uh, <laughs> he's he gone out. under the pressure of yeah, your he predictions. Couldn't, he couldn't cope. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a bit of a letdown after Acapulco, but I mean, you know, Acapulco is not like a massive win or anything, but yeah, the man of the scoreline, you know, Zverev took that first set 6-1 and then kind of succumbed 6-3, 6-1 quite, quite easily. So, I mean, I know Rusevori is one of those kind of up and coming players. I think he lost to Monfils. Uh, sorry, he beat Monfils at the Australian mm, Open Australian this Open, year. Yeah. So he is one, one to watch. Um, interestingly, um, he first started out playing badminton, uh, but switched to tennis, uh, at well, quite early on, of course, but, you know, perhaps just one of those people that's probably good at all racket sports, probably. Um, but yeah, he's up to his, uh, his own career high ranking 83 in the world. So I guess getting another big scout over like a top, top player, we'll have to see how much further he can go. He's got Yannick Sinner next. So that's, you know, a right battle of the kind of, I'm not going to say next gen, but battle of the youngsters. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kim, I was, I was tempted to call, uh, Zverev, Medvedev, Rublev and Sissipas the big four. So, uh, <laughs> no, not, not quite yet. <laughs> it didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't have the, I don't think we could, we could talk about that yet, but certainly I think that bottom quarter is definitely very, very open. Lots of, I think all the big seeds going out, uh, Zverev will come onto it, but Dimitrov as well, Kachinov, Goffan, all gone. Uh, just on Zverev, uh, interestingly, it came out of his, his match that even though he lost, um, didn't win a match in, in Miami, um, he is one of the players who's, who does not like 
the ATP ranking system as it is at the moment. He really does not like the fact that Roger Federer is still above him, despite you know not playing tennis for uh, like a year or so, and, and he's still below. But that will change next week. So ironically, even though he's been kind of berating the ranking system, he's going to get his wish come true uh, next week. He's going to go above Federer in the rankings. But um, yeah, not a, not a good performance from Zverev. But uh, yeah, all, all to play for, I think, between Rusevori and Sinner, both up-and-coming players. And I think, uh, you know, one of those could very well easily make the semifinals. Yeah, I think the ranking system at the moment certainly isn't one for instant gratification, is it? It's it's just kind of <laughs> luck of the draw as, as as and when you go up and down at the moment. But um, yeah, you mentioned Dimitrov. I know you had him in your semi-finals, which was quite bold. Well, but <laughs> this is your own back because I brought up the Zverev, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, because Cam Norrie, <laughs> Cam Norrie of Great Britain, uh, beat Grigor Dimitrov uh, in in straight sets, which is you know fantastic win for Norrie. And actually, I did have a feeling about that match. I thought Cam would do it. Yeah, but I did not have a feeling about that match. <laughs> I think he was five three down in the first set, and I thought, yep, yeah, Dimitrov's got this. He's been playing solid tennis, uh, you know, and he loves playing on a hard court. I just thought, yeah, I just thought that was going to be very routine for for Grigor, but but obviously not. I'm sure many people love playing on a hard court. doesn't mean they're going to win, does it? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's annoying that Norrie didn't manage to back it up. He lost 6-1 in the third to Taylor Fritz. But um, yeah, it's it's great for Norrie. I mean, I do feel like he's had a few scalps, hasn't he? I think he's beaten um, about seven players in, in the top 40 kind of since the recommencement of the tour. But he's also then lost to people, you know, that he really should be beating. So it's he really needs that consistency. Um, but you know, fair play. Like he just needs to kind of back those kind of bigger wins up, I suppose. I guess it's it, the only frustrating thing is that when he's in these draws on the ATP tour and he's he's defeating probably the seeded players and taking their, you know, their their path in the tournament. And then he's, as you said, he's not able to to back it up. And I feel like, I think he's lost to Taylor Fritz a couple of times this season. I think Taylor Fritz has his has his number a little bit, but um, it was a very it was still a very close battle. But I think it was a shame for Cam because. Okay, that quarter is, is very open. I mean, Rusevori, Sinner, Taylor Fritz and Alexander Bublik, one of those is going to be a semi-finalist. And it just shows you, I think, how how thin that draw is. When Zverev, you know, when Zverev crashed out in the in the second round, it really opened up for that that whole quarter, really, in terms of who's going to, you know, who's going to get that semi-final berth. Yeah, but on the bottom half of the draw, we are still more or less uh, got all the seeds in, mm. in play. You know, Rublev, Sitsipas, Aslan Karatsev is still going. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they've all kind of come through. Um, Karatsev's got Korda in the next next round, which is quite exciting uh, to see Seb Korda. But funnily enough, I think this is the, the classic thing. Marton Fuksovic has got Andre Rublev again. <laughs> uh, they seem to meet in every tournament. I think they faced off in the last four events. And Fuskovic, I think, came out um, in Dubai saying, you know, I, I just hope I don't get you in the draw. And lo and behold, uh, next tournament, he, he has Rublev. <laughs> Miami absolutely having none of that and wanted to obviously see more of a Fusevich Rublev matchup. I wonder if it's going to be the same outcome as before. I think these these matches are only I think interesting because you wonder if how much that you know Fusevich could have learned in such a short space of time and be able to apply it to his game to maybe cause an upset. Uh, I 
you know, it'll it'll be very interesting to see. But yeah, he's he's probably sick and tired at the sight of Rublev because Rublev is in. I mean, he's in he's in really good form, isn't he? At the moment, I mean, I watched some of the highlights of him against Sangrin. And he's six one six two. It was pretty comprehensive. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Fuchovic, he's he's been playing well this season. Um, you know, I think he's had some of the best form in his career. It's just that he always gets uh, completely undubbed by kind of Rublev in the sort of fourth round quarterfinal stages of the of the tournament he's playing in. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, first of all, you know, Rublev has a, a winning head to head over him. So he'll uh, hopefully, you know, eventually Fuskovic will, will figure it out. And uh... nobody beats Fuchovic three times in a row in a short space of time. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. But um, we've also got, um, yeah, Denil Shapovalov uh, on the other side, always playing one of your faves, Hubert Herkaj, um, Ugu and Bear. You know, there's a whole load of. Um, Load of players we would expect to be making their way through Nishikori. Uh, someone perhaps we weren't expecting, Daniel Elahi Galan. Um, that's kind of a, a section of the draw that's opened up because he beat Alex de Menor. So, um, but let's, let's talk about, um, you know, we mentioned earlier that the conditions and, and players collapsing. Jack Draper, British player, uh, many people perhaps wouldn't be too au fait with him. You know, he got a wild card into the tournament because he is part of the IMG um, program and IMG kind of run this run this tournament. Uh, so this was his main draw debut, you know, first time on the ATP tour. And would you believe it? You know, he's forced to retire after the first set uh, because he collapsed on court. I mean, that is not how you want your ATP no. draw debut to go. I mean, it was memorable. It? I mean, it was memorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah it, I mean, it was a uh, real baptism of fire, I think, you know, for Jack Draper against a very kind of seasoned tour level professional in Mikhail Kukushkin. I think he handled himself pretty well, actually, watching some of the highlights. He looked pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, he lost, the, he lost the first set 7-5, but, you know, it was, it, regardless, I think, you know, I've, you know, growing up and kind of watching him, I've seen him seen him a few times live in qualifiers. I think he does have the ability, and I think that's what makes him so exciting. He does have the ability, I think, to play on the you know the ATP um, on the ATP tour. But at the moment, his body is I don't think is ready, and uh, you know this kind of showed that. And uh, you know, Kikushin afterwards was saying, look, this was a the conditions were so so tough in terms of really heavy balls, very hard to hit winners very humid and yeah it just got the better of of Jack Draper which was it wasn't nice to see because you know he fell over on the court it was dizzy and it felt like he should just I felt like he should have just re, you know retired get off the court and just kind of recuperate I know he would have wanted to do more but I think it was kind of the it was definitely the right decision yeah and he's still so young you know 19 years of age yeah you know he's down in the sort of 300s of the world but what we saw of him was fantastic I thought you know he was hitting winners left right and center for those kind of first few games so like really good uh performance until you know obviously the conditions got to him and I'm I'm hopeful that he will have more like world card opportunities and hopefully in, in somewhere nice and, and cold um, for him to <laughs> to sort of have a bit of a better experience. But um, yeah, I mean, let's just kind of finish up on the men's side, I suppose, Joel. Are you still confident that Medvedev is going to win the tournament after week one in Miami? I mean, as long as he's got like loads of electrolytes in him, which I think is what he was, <laughs> he was, he was going after once he was feeling those, those cramps. Um, yeah, I think, I think he will recover. I think that, you know, having a rest day will help him. Um, 
and I still I think he's looked very very good I actually think Sissipas has looked actually even better but I don't think he's come up as quite stern of a test as Medvedev did, did against uh, Popperin so early on but um, yeah I'm sort of still backing Medvedev um, Karatsev and Sissipas as well I'm still backing them I think Karatsev again has looked very good so far of what I've seen him in on court came through against Kukushkin you know four and two and Sissipas as well looked you know quite at home really so I've got no no issues there but I do think that top half it could could spring a surprise I mean Medvedev there's going to always be an injury sort of doubt over him now I guess going forward in this tournament but yeah it feels quite it feels very open that top half yeah I agree perhaps Isna might upset him in in Mm. some tie breaks in the semis but we shall we shall wait and see I'm I don't know who I'm going to go for now that Zverev's yeah, gone. What? I suppose Riblev, he was my finalist uh, prediction, <laughs> but uh, I've put the curse on, on Zverev anyway. But um, we're going to take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be looking at how the women's draw is shaping up in Miami. So see you in a moment. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to looking at the women's draw so far in Miami. Uh, obviously, fourth round is is underway. We've had uh, two of the matches already. Um, some more are, are underway as we're recording this, Joel. So very exciting. They're all happening today. So it's a it's a big day in kind of the whole WTA calendar, really. This is, is kind of um, like the, the fourth round of the slam and everything's happening. So uh, where do we begin? Uh, let's let's go for the top half of, of, of the draw because we had some really cracking matchups like Ash Barty against Vika Azarenka. We've had Kvitova Svitolina. We've got Von Drusova Sabalenka and Sevastova Konyuk to come. That last one, perhaps quite surprising. We'll be getting onto that shortly um but yeah we've just had Barty and Azarenka Barty winning that in in three sets a bit of a bizarre scoreline 6-1-1-6-6-2 Joel yeah Barty I watched the, yeah watched a bit of that I thought Azarenka Azarenka had a moment I think I think it was two all early on in the, the third set she had some great points and Barty was able to fend them off and really was a bit of one-way traffic um you know, from then on in. But, um, yeah, I think Azarenka will be disappointed. She wasn't able to seize the initiative after winning that second set so easily. But I mean, fair play to Ash Barty. I mean, she, I mean, let's remember she is the defending champion. <laughs> she's, you know, she's held it for two, well, going on two years now, but she has been, um, I think growing, I think better and better into the tournament. She had a bit of a wobble, um, in her first match against Christina. Kukova, uh, the qualifier. I think there was obviously some signs of rust there. You know, she hadn't, she didn't t- uh, take part in the Middle Eastern swing, decided to stay in Australia. And I think she was 5-2 down in that third set against Kukova, came back. So some really, some real fight that I know we kind of always associate with, you know, such a, a battler like Ash Barty. But I think, you know, that, that Ostapenko match really, I think kind of set her in I think for the tournament and I think she's going to be growing from strength to strength for the the rest of the tournament and to have you know to pick up a scalp like Azarenka who's I think their head to red record was pretty I think it was pretty even I think maybe it was one one uh, more to Azarenka um, but yeah she'll be growing in confidence because of that victory. Yeah, and they used to play doubles together, you know, as a cracking doubles team. Mm. So I think they'll know each other's games quite well. So um interestingly as well, you know, Barty came out and said that she's 
her and her coach are planning to be away from Australia for a good six months until, you know, the US Open. Yeah, and that's a long time. That yeah. is a long time. I just, yeah, for uh, particularly I think for a player who has been at home for like a year, to go from such an extreme to another extreme, uh, that I feel like could be an extra, potentially an extra challenge for her to overcome. And, you know, maybe it, it would simplify things, but I mean, to be away from home from that long, you know, yes, it is that, you know, this, this, this that is tour life, but uh, even so that is going to be particularly challenging, I think. Yeah. It makes you realise the commitment that, you know, a mm. lot of players do it even in the best of times but obviously with the the two-week quarantine you know that you have to do in Australia it's with the calendar it's there's not really a window of time where they can go back and do the two weeks just to be able to to go home for like a week or whatever to see family so big sacrifices uh for Ash Barty uh, amongst others as well and and just also in in this section of the draw we've had um Kvitova Svitolina now I was surprised by this Kvitova was playing really well um annihilated Joe Conta the round before in, in under an <laughs> hour we not talk about that match because yeah that was uh, <laughs> I mean less said the be- less said the better there I think yeah, and she's been looking kind of like really, really strong. And then, you know, lo and behold, Svitolina comes back and, and wins in kind of, well, an edgy third set, 7-5 mm. in the third set. So, yeah, able to kind of get some form, rediscovering her form, because I don't think she'd she'd won many no. matches at all in the in the Middle East and swing. I think she only won one match. So, yeah, great for Svitolina, obviously, to kind of get through into the quarterfinals. But a bit of a shame for Kvitova because she was playing very well so far in the tournament. I'm, I was actually really impressed with Svitolina because, as you said, I've, she's, her form's been pretty indifferent. She had that awful match against Azarenka, who was injured in the warm-up, didn't really know what to do and, and still lost. Um, but yeah, she's been really impressive this week. And the more I was kind of thinking about it, I think the conditions and sort of the, the ball sitting up and it being really slow, I think they're really helping the, you know, the counterpunchers and the more defensive players stay in the point longer and, you know, pick their moments. And I think, you know, Svitolina and I think Mertens as well, I think they have, I think Mertens has done it in a, in a different sort of way, but I think Svitolina is just getting back to what she does best and is, is just grafting out these pretty, some pretty decent results. I mean, she had that real tough test up, up against Shelby Rogers to begin with. I actually thought Shelby Rogers was going to come through that and she nearly did, but um, Svitolina really kind of bringing I think rediscovering the sort of pedigree that she had last year. And um, yeah, I think she'll be hoping to go, uh, you know, further on and, and deeper into, into into the tournament because, yeah, she's just looked very, very good and, and been able to handle um, all the sort of power players, I guess, uh, on the, the other side of the net to her. Yeah, and, and just a note on Joe Conta because Conta, you know, is in a right rut at the moment. She hasn't had a back, she hasn't had back to back wins this year. Uh, she hasn't actually beaten a top 10 player since 2019, uh, I think the US mm. Open. So again, you know, her sort of lack of form, her, I know she's had injury struggles, but it's, I almost feel like she just needs to go and play some, for want of a better words, more budget tournaments, Joel, your, your favourite word, um, just to get some some form in. You know, I mean, it was always going to be a tough ask, I suppose, coming into Miami with like very little match practice, um, fitness under your belt. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame for for Joe. But a player that has had a very, uh, very good and, and somewhat surprising week is, is Anna Konjuk, who um, is a Croatian player that 
we may or may not know too much about. I think a couple of years ago, she was up in in the top 20. She was, um, you know, she's still very, very young, but she's had about three or four elbow surgeries, which have really knocked her down the rankings and obviously taken taken its toll on her. And she's been given a wild card into this tournament and she's so far proving proving its merit because she's into the fourth round. She's got Sevastova next. Uh, she beat Iga Svantec in the last round uh, in three sets. So really impressive performances from, from Anna Konyuk. And actually, it's the first time she's had three consecutive match wins on the tour uh, since well, almost four years ago when she was um, ranked at 20 in the world. So really impressive stuff from her. And it seems to me, Joel, that every tournament on the WTA tour this year, there's been like a breakout player who's done something very surprising. I know, but I think the surprise here is that the breakout player has been a player who's actually kind of been around before and, and a player who, you know, was high up the rankings before, you know, I think injuries kind of took her toll. I think, you know, she'll be so, I think, just thrilled to be back out on the court. And I think, you know, those surgeries probably gave her, you know, a perspective um, that, you know, players at her age probably have never kind of, you know, had to kind of deal with, you know, she probably had some you know, very dark moments in terms of, um, you know, having, you know, four elbow surgeries and she will just, I um, imagine, be very pleased to just be back on, back on the court playing the sort of tennis that she was, you know, playing before, um, you know, when, you know, she was doing so well getting up to kind of number 20 in the world in, in 2017. So, yeah, I watched a bit of the, the Sviontek match and, and Sviontek, she didn't really have an answer actually to Konyuk, which you, you, you can't really say that often, but Konyuk was, uh, you know, very, very good and she didn't let a, I think, second set blip sort of affect her, affect the result. And I feel like she's got massive belief in her, her game. And maybe that's because of the performances she knows that she's, you know, she's had in the past. And although she is unseeded and, and a wild card, you would expect her to kind of, you know, if she can keep injury free, you, you would expect her to kind of rise up the rankings. Yeah, her winner to unforced error ratio in that Shvontek match was very impressive. <laughs> I and, know. And usually was, that's something yeah. Shvontek is, is you mm. know, the, the queen of. But uh, she's got Sevastova next. She got a walkover um, because Halep, unfortunately, had to retire from the tournament. So, yeah, Simone Halep having a right shoulder issue, um, not able to carry on. So, I mean, I, I think that's winnable for Konyuk, but it, it does mean that I guess we're going to have a player in, in the semis who... Well, no, in the quarters, sorry. Uh, well, possibly the semis. <laughs> but um, yeah, Simona Halep, it, it will not be her. And I hope it won't keep her out for too long because obviously we've got the clay court season coming up and I'm, perhaps she's thinking preventatively, you know, clay is, is where she wants to obviously peak. So there's no point kind of pursuing on hard courts in difficult conditions when, when you've got clay around the corner. Yeah, definitely. And also we had Sabalenka as well. Got Sabalenka von Drusova uh, in round four. I mean, Sabalenka's had an absolutely wild ride <laughs> to the um, to the fourth round. I mean, her match against uh, Peronkova was an absolutely, uh, I mean, that was an absolute roller coaster. She lost the first set six love and then won it um, in the final set tie break. Uh, 11-9. I mean, that was, a, that was an absolutely crazy, crazy scoreline. Prongva, I'm sure, will be completely gutted. But um, yeah, Sabalenka, redis- another one of those players, I think, rediscovering her form at the right moment. Uh, I know we, we all know her, I think, capabilities. I think what was so impressive, actually, about that Prongva match was the, her, 
you know, that was a very big, I think, mental challenge. I think, you know, we know she's got the game to beat, you know, a player who's, you know, very good in Pronkova. But to come back from a, a bagel down, I think, was very, very impressive. And the fact that she was also match points down as well, I think, shows how that she, how much she's actually matured um, on on the tour because, you know, she is very combustible, but she was obviously gave a very measured performance and reacted very well from being in very adverse kind of situations in that match. Yeah, she's not in an adverse situation at the moment because she's five love up uh, against from <laughs> in the first set and she'll be serving to, for a bagel set. So it's going swimmingly at the moment for Sabalenka. Uh, she is my champion prediction. So mm. I hope that's not famous last words. But um, on the bottom half of the draw, we've got some really intriguing matchups, which, um, yeah, I mean, the top one I've, I've got to say is, is quite mouthwatering. Bianca Andreescu against Garbina Muguruza. Um, how does that sound, Joel? <laughs> oh, I know, it sounds great. I mean, there are some really fascinating matchups. I know we spoke about the men's side, it feeling a little bit wafer thin, but I mean, the 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 women's job really is is stacked and this is definitely one of the marquee matches i think for the uh you know for the fourth round andrescu who again one of those players is just coming back into form she i think rediscovered it in australia post uh, australian open and she's carrying that on to miami and she just has enormous belief i think in uh, one of her press conferences she was like yeah, I'm, I'm here to win. I'm here to win the Miami Open. And I just love that belief that she has. And her match uh, in the third round against Anisimova, again, that was a, a proper ding dong, as I would like to call it, Kim, um, <laughs> was just an absolute, absolute classic. And, you know, a lot of people talk about Andrescu and Anisimova and that uh, hopefully being a rivalry for the future, because if, if, if both of those players can keep fit, which, you know, is not not a certainty, I, I think we can safely say. But if it is, and I hope it is, those two players could definitely put on a show uh, for the future. Yeah, and it's only Andreescu's um, third tournament back. So she's still, you know, early days and, and managing to get through. And I feel like Muguruza might have a, have a bit too much for her. But Muguruza herself came through uh, in an almost three hour long match against Anna Kalinskaya. So again, like battling through, um, neither of them are probably particularly fresh, therefore going, going into that match. And Muguruza was actually three love down in, in that last set against Canon Sky, who's, you know, wild card herself. So, um, that's, that's going to be an interesting, it could be another kind of three set, possibly three hour long tussle, uh, or it could be a whitewash. Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really intriguing matchup that will be coming later on today. Um, we've also got Sara Cerebes Tormo, uh, another Spaniard going really well. She's had Again, a, a breakout season, to be quite honest with you. Um, she won her first title recently. Um, she's had wins this week over Jennifer Brady, uh, Elena Rybakina. So, you know, beating those players that are, are ranked above her. She's she's had um, one of the, the best kind of win records on tour this, this season. So she'll be looking to um, to to get another kind of big win over on Jabour in, in the fourth round today. Yeah, that's going to be a very, I think, very tough one for... Cerebes Tormo on Zibor had that win against Kenin. Very, very high quality match. I think that was her first top 10 win since Doha in 2020. So uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a very tough ask. But Cerebes Tormo, I think is one of those players. She's an absolute grafter and she, t- I feel like she tends to win matches, you know, not in the, the prettiest way. They're normally in like three sets and they normally go over, <laughs> they're normally kind of two hours plus. But I think that could be a real, um, I feel that, that, that match could be a real street fight in terms of, 
the matches we have left, I think that could very much go to, a, you know, that could be another epic, I think, on the cards. Yeah, and um, just a note on Jabor, that's the first time she she's beaten Sophia Kenin. Because um, I, f- I feel like Kenin and Jabor always seem to meet in <laughs> slams and, and tournaments. And Kenin, yeah, so far had 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 her number, but on Jabor, obviously, um, re- rectifying that. And Kenin, obviously, playing her kind of after having, you know, her, her surgery at the start of the year on her way kind of back in. So not a complete surprise either. Um, but yeah, Sara Sariva's tournament, I think something like, 11 of her last 14 matches or something have been like three set two hour long matches so she is she's very fit so i have to give her her due she's like the dennis shapovalov of the the women's side yeah. of the i feel like dennis shapovalov always plays three set matches uh you can never get it done in like a, a very easy like straight sets three and three situation um but uh yeah i'll be interested to see how that goes um kim talking about players who have other players numbers uh we spoke earlier about Fuchovic rublev we had that we had another uh we had a third meeting in in very recent weeks between plushkova carolina plushkova and jessica pagula um plushkova did a little bit better this time she got a she got a set off pagula but it was still the same outcome um but yeah plushkova must be sick and tired of seeing jessica pagula on a hard court yeah, Pagula's continuing her excellent uh, run of form. She's uh, she's through to the fourth round, and she's going to be facing Maria Sakari. So again, I think I think Pagula could could do that one. Um, How is she yeah. only the twenty ninth seed, Kim? It just I know doesn't it's make a bit ridiculous, <laughs> but it's 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 her third win over Pliskova in twenty four days. So that's you know less than a month. So she's basically playing her on a weekly basis. Let me rephrase that. How is Carolina Pliskova the sixth seed? I mean, she's yeah. having an absolutely absolutely rotten season you feel you feel like just on the performances alone maybe the Sasha Bajin coaching setup is not working something whether something needs to change there but uh, yeah I don't want to beat on the drum on, on this too much because I've you know we've talked about it I think at length you know recently on, on other catch-ups but um yeah Pishkova needs to needs to she needs to you know she needs to sort her game out because she's not reaching anywhere near the levels we've seen her play in previous seasons She's probably just blaming it on the fact that she plays Pagula every draw. She's probably like, if only it wasn't for her, I'd be, I'd yeah. be winning these tournaments. Um, I, wish, I wish Pliskova did like a a, a Fuchovic sort of. I I just don't want to play you anymore, Pagula at the, at the net. But uh, yeah, it just um, yeah, I, I think she'll just be. It'll be one of those situations like you know Halep when she gets the Grand Slam draw and you know looks for Kaya Kanepi. Mm. Pliskova is going to be where's Jessica Pagula? Where's Jessica Pagula? It's like her, her bogey woman or whatever. But, um, and then right at the bottom of the draw, Joel, we've got Naomi Osaka against Elise Merton. So Merton's another of those players who's had a really solid season um, and getting to kind of latter stages. And Osaka, yeah, nothing weird has happened to her so far, uh, which I, I, I kind of put on my predictions that something weird was going to happen at some point. And that's why I wasn't predicting Osaka to win the title. Uh, I had Merton's to, to upset Osaka. So I'm really intrigued to see how this one's going to go later. Kim, I just cannot. I can't can, see I it. Just cannot see that happening. I just think, I, I just think Mertens is so. I actually think Mertens is the, you know, talking about kind of the best defensive type of players on the tour. You know, I think arguably Svitolina was the, the number one in that respect. I think maybe last season. I feel like Mertens has stolen her thunder a little bit at the start of this season, and she is the the best defensive player. But I just don't think that you can beat the, the best in the world with 
like a defensive first game. And I don't think I've seen enough of her to, for her to convince me that she's got other kind of weapons in her locker. That, and, and I don't think she's going to have any weapons in her locker to, to defeat Naomi Osaka. I could be completely wrong, but I just think when she comes up against these ultra aggressive players, um, more often than not, they're going to be able to find a way to get through a, a player who, I think prides herself more on kind of, you know, variety and getting it all back and putting it in, in awkward areas. Yeah, I, I was going more on the perhaps the circle will be rusty. She she didn't play her last round because her opponent with, withdrew. So we shall see. But no, I, I do think you're right, Joel. <laughs> I just wanted to like jazz up my predictions a bit, um, which I've still got Sabalenka to win. So it may still happen. Oh, Sabalenka won that first set 6-1. So a breadstick, not a bagel. Um, but yeah, that, that brings us to a close, I think, for our Miami catch up. We will be back on Sunday next week or this week to review the finals and kind of the the latter stages of the event for both the men's and women's draw. So do hope that you can all join us then. Yes. And if you've been enjoying listening to the passing shot and you want to make sure you stay up to date on all the tennis at the Miami Open and on the ATP and WTA tours, make sure to subscribe to us, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you have been enjoying the show and listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So if you don't already follow us, give us a like, give us a follow, tell all your friends about us as well. Um, and you can also contact us via email as well as social media. Our email is PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Sunday evening, UK time, to catch up on all of week two at the Miami Open. So I hope you can join us then. And we're going to get back to the the tennis and we will see you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.